this is a subject that next to the Lord Jesus himself and, of course, his word. And this is probably my greatest passion. Ever since I was in high school, I took extra government and civics, civics classes. I just had an interest, even as a young boy at that time. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't think of it as politics as much as government. And uh, there's nothing word wrong with the word politics if we understand what it means and what it's supposed to do. It's kind of become a bad word in some ways to, in some people's minds. But I can tell you this this morning, folks, that government, we, we can never forget that government was established by, by God. Now, I know, I'm sure since Pastor York preached last week on this, I think you said it was last week, I'll probably do some repetitiveness uh, of what he said, but that's okay. It'll reinforce things. But sometimes I think people try to separate government from God, and you can't do it. You're only at your own peril. And people we've in this country, they started trying to do that back in about the 60s. Uh, of course, there's always been an element there trying to do that. But, but the, since the 60s and 70s, and how's that worked out for us? Separating government and God. And they talk about separation of church and state. And uh, I don't want to get into arguing that point, but I told a U.S. congressman once that represented us in Iowa when I was out at the Capitol, I said, well, you may believe in separation of church and state, and I don't know what all that means to you, congressman, but you can't separate God and state because he instituted government. And so it's foolishness, utterly foolishness in this country uh, for people to try to do that. So we're going to look at some things today that, as Pastor York said, addressing the Christian citizen's responsibility. And I believe it's one of the greatest needs of our day. Without a doubt, I believe that. I'm convinced of it. By the way, I forgot to mention our Indiana Baptist College students that you all well know up here that have some of them been here for a while and some of them are new to you, but we really appreciate these students, Brother Daniel and, and, the, and the rest of them that are here and Tabby and, and Chelsea and now married today, this, this summer and Rachel and uh, who did I leave out? Nadine. How could I leave out Nadine? And uh, all of these students, we appreciate what they did, how they went through the college and what they're doing here to represent the college. But this is one of the greatest needs of the day, folks. The other two, I believe, are fulfilling the Great Commission and financial stewardship. And I'm not preaching on those. But I hear a lot about revival. People praying for revival, people talking about revival people preaching on revival. But I honestly do not believe we're going to have any kind of sweeping revival until we get those three things in order. Now, I know some preachers will differ. Maybe Pastor York will differ on that. He can straighten that out after I leave, you know. He can always say, I didn't know that guy was going to say that. But at any, any, any rate, I think we're in trouble in this nation because we don't see the basic things we need to be dealing with. I think that 
we're, we're full of knowledge, but not much action sometime. Now, I'm not saying that's true of this church overall. I would never say that. I'm, my wife and I are a member of a church that's very active in many things, and, and I believe doing God's work in their churches all across this country like that, and I'm glad for that, but generally speaking, that's not what's happening. So since I don't know what all you're doing here, and since I don't know every individual, I want to share with you some of these things today that I think are just indispensable. They must be known. Uh, Really, taking on our Christian citizen responsibility could change this nation. I know there there are several things that can change this nation, getting back to the Word of God, which is includes our Christian citizen responsibility. And we'll look at that this morning. Uh, If we would have fulfilled the Great Commission over the years like we should have had, it would have changed this nation. We'd be in a different nation, a different atmosphere today, and, and have different challenges and have much more success as a nation, not just the church. And I want to say this to you folks as a general exhortation. Where do you, how can you find contentment, satisfaction, and accomplishment in your life? It's only in doing what is right in our areas of responsibility. It's the only way you find contentment, satisfaction, and accomplishment is if we do what we know the Bible says in the different areas of our lives. That would include the home, marriage, all of those things. But it's true in this matter of being an American citizen. We're not going to be happy with our country and the direction it's going in until God's people arise and do something about it. And uh, I'm including in that not just independent Baptists or just Baptists, but evangelicals who claim to be born again and who say they know the Lord and indeed seem to know the Lord I'm including that millions, the millions in America that profess to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And even beyond that, the millions that profess to be born again, not just to say they're a Christian. Because we all know that being a Christian is different in some, as far as some people are concerned than others. Well, we just had our Memorial Day weekend about a month ago. And uh, we just celebrated a time when we remember those who actually literally gave their physical life for this country. And I think when we think about that, we, we, we want to appreciate those who we know, whom we may know, others whom we know, may know about. But our thoughts should go all the way back to the Revolutionary War and our founding fathers because they paid a great price. Now, here, here's the thing about a situation like that. There's only one group of people. There was only one group of men and women at that time that could pay that price. And they chose to pay it. And in our day, there are some things that we need to address that only this generation can address. And they're not always uh, pleasant. And they're not always easy. And it's easy to ignore them or pass them off to someone else. But we just cannot continue to do that. When we were fighting the battle in, and I'll talk more about that maybe later, but when we were fighting the battle in Iowa, 
over Christian schools and homeschools, and they had fought the battle in Nebraska and Ohio and Kentucky and some other states. We had a Christian attorney to tell us when we were going to, we were just, we, we could not obey the laws and the regulations that they had set. We just could not and still obey God. And so this Christian attorney said to us, I'm going to tell you guys something. If you're going to go to battle, you better plan to win. Because it's not good when you lose. <laughs> or he said war, probably. When you go to war, you better plan to win. And that's what they did in the Revolutionary War. And I believe the constitution of those men and those women and those families were dedicated and they, under God, planned to win. And by God's providence, they did win. And we can thank God for that today, folks, that they were willing to do that. Now here we are in our Independence Day weekend. Let me ask you this morning, what does July the 4th mean to you? Now, I don't mean just a quick answer you might give if some reporter walked up to you on the street, some uh, newscaster, and said, what does the 4th of July mean to you? What does Independence Day mean to you? And you know, you have your pat answers that everybody gives and so on. But deeper down, what, what does it mean to you? When you hear the Star Spangled Banner, when you see the flag, when you sing, when we sing stirring songs about our country, does that do something for you? Nod your head if it does. Does it do anything for anybody? Okay, good. You know, I think that's important. Uh, we love our country, don't we? We love our freedoms. We love the freedom of worship and the freedom to witness and the freedom to assemble and the freedom of expression and our freedom to choose our children's education and even our freedom to travel. We enjoy so much liberty and freedom in this country that we don't even realize how much freedom we had compared to many countries. And our freedoms are definitely being threatened. We know that. They have been threatened. We've experienced some of that in the last few years. Um, but we still enjoy an amazing amount of freedom. There's a lot of persecution. That, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a significant amount of persecution that goes on in this country still. And things are going on that we don't know about. They're happening in other states or other places, and we don't even hear about them. Some we hear a report on the news every once in a while. We read in a Christian periodical, or maybe you see it on some kind of uh, news station or something, but we, we don't know of a lot that goes on. We know there are people who, who have lost their businesses because they would not service a homosexual wedding or something. Now, here's the thing. We don't hate homosexual people. We love them. We want them to come to Christ just like anybody else. And we don't know what got them to that point in their life. So we're, we're, it's not condemning of the person, but of the sin, because that's what God caused it. And so what happens in, in these situations, those who would... Those who accuse, 
Bible-practicing Christians of not being inclusive and loving everybody are the very ones that aren't inclusive and don't love everybody because they don't love Bible-believing Christians, I'll tell you that. And so they're trying to foster upon somebody that has started a business and has the desire to contribute to the United States of America and to the economics of it. And they're maybe God, probably godly people who love the Lord. And they don't hate most of them, I would say, if not all of them, don't hate the homosexual person. They just cannot violate their Bible convictions. So we have this going on in all kinds of places. I spent a number of days, maybe two weeks or so, out in Nebraska when that battle was going on. In Iowa, we fought it ourselves. Our church went through federal court uh, because of trying to win the battle to have the freedom to homeschool and send our children to Christian schools. And make no mistake about it, a lot of people think, well, they were probably just, they should have been more compliant with the state. They should have worked with the state. Listen, they were making statements like, that they wanted to close the schools down completely. My school superintendent made the statement to me. He said, I want to control everything you have in your Christian school, including the books in your library and your playground, everything. I want to control everything. No, they weren't just asking us to try to work with them. They said, we want everything. When I was in Nebraska, I I slept in the bed of homeschoolers who were in jail. There were five families put in jail in Nebraska. This, this was back in the 80s, folks. And they were put in jail in Nebraska, five homeschool families out of that church in that area. And I slept, I slept in their house. And I just, as I laid there, I, just, I, was, I felt so, I don't know, guilty or so stressed because I thought, these people are in jail. They're in jail for homeschooling their, their, their children. And my wife's, had a hard time going to sleep sometime and sometimes was in tears because she thought the officials might come for our children and that kind of threat was being made you know some may think well that never happened in Illinois today oh yeah it could I believe the only reason it didn't happen in Illinois and Indiana earlier some time ago was because the battle was fought in Nebraska and Iowa and other places and people said no we're not going that direction And so it could have come to Illinois. The amazing thing, Brother York, about Illinois is, is all the struggles you have here politically, they never really went after the homeschools and Christian schools. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? They went after it in other states. But today we're not so much under a direct attack concerning Christian education, but attack in other ways, as, as, as we mentioned now, I want, to make, I want to read a statement here, and I debated on whether to read it or not, but I, th- I think it's important for us to, to realize some things. We're, first of all, as we'll look at some scriptures here in just a little bit, and I've purposely not looked at the scriptures yet because I want to prepare your mind for some things from the scripture. I want you to think practically about some things. But it's important to realize that we, we know that the battle... It's not with flesh and blood, don't we? We know it's with 
Satan, and we know it with, is with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and our rulers in dark, uh, of darkness and in dark places. We know that our battle is not primarily with flesh and blood. Now, it certainly feels like it sometimes, <laughs> but we know that's not where it is. And it's a multi-fronted battle. It, it, it's not just something you can put your finger on and say, well, if we took care of this, everything would be okay. No, it's not that simple. I want to read you a, a quote from George Yancey, a black Christian on the faculty of Baylor University. And I could have just said George Yancey, a faculty of Baylor University, but I read this article by him, and I read the whole article, and I'm convinced that he's not a racist. I'm, I'm convinced that he's a Christian that just sees some things that we all need to see. And of course, there was a lot in that article, but I want to read you a quote from him that I believe is true. He said, now keep in mind, this is not the only group that we have a problem with in this country, but he said, elite, white, wealthy, educated, and usually irreligious men are some of our main enemies. Now, who would that be? Well, let me mention some groups. What about Facebook? What about Amazon? What about Twitter? We know that the men and many in those businesses are out to change America as we know it. We know that they hate certain things in America. And I've read quotes, Microsoft, just on and on. And we need to realize that, that's part, that they are great enemies of this nation. Now, here's the blessing, though. Here's the blessing. In spite of all of these powerful people with all of their wealth, they still haven't been able to destroy America. Isn't that good? That's good because that shows the power of God. That shows that Christians can be the salt of this earth. And, and I'll show something about that in a moment. I'm, I'm about to get ahead of myself, and that's bad news for me because then I never finish. At least it's a two-part message today. All of my messages are two-part. I never finish one. So today, maybe I'll finish one. But at any rate, Listen, I'm telling you, folks, we're, we're in a tremendous battle. But let me say this. Let me put your mind at ease. Here's what happens. This is human nature. Except for a few of us, a small percentage of people, including Christians, we get overwhelmed by problems and we think, well, we can't do anything. I don't know what I'd do about this, and I don't feel up to this, so I just do nothing. We can't, we can't afford to do that. We're the salt of the earth. We're the ones that can do something. And I'm going to show you some day, things today. I'm going to talk to you about some things this morning and this afternoon. I hope you can come back this afternoon. And uh, I'm going to share with you some, th- some simple things, as I told Pastor York, some simple things that can make a profound difference in our nation. And that, that's really the whole purpose of being here today. I'm saying all that to say this. Or said all that to say that.
But here's the one thing we can't do, or we won't do, and I don't even know that we could do it. One thing I learned in all of our battles back in the 80s is this, and some of the people were battling in the 70s before I came along, but, but we can't fight battle after battle, issue after issue. We don't have time to do that. We're busy about God's work. We, we, we don't want, you don't want Pastor York out there all the time in that arena and don't, doesn't have time to prepare messages and doesn't have time to counsel and doesn't have time to be what a pastor needs to be. And, and you don't have the, most of you don't have the time. So that's why we need to do these simple things that make a profound difference that God will bless and God will take care of it. So... We can't just fight battle after battle. We've got to win for one place at the polls. I'm telling you people, we've got to win at the polls. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. You see, we need to seek God, of course, through his word and through prayer. And that's one of the scriptures we'll look at. Because when God raises up an entity or a movement or a leader, or a church, he sustains it as long as the believers involved follow God's purpose and seek God's face in matters. That means that God raised up this church in this place and he will sustain it as long as this church stays with the word of God and does what you do what you're supposed to be doing to the best of your ability. He will sustain this place. It's the same true of Israel. They, they, they didn't stay with God. And they lost their, their place. It's sad, but it's true. It's like a church. It's like the United States of America. Don't think that this country can't fall. And especially as we know it today. Do you know that in the Chinese language, I, I teach a Chinese Sunday school class. No, I don't speak Chinese. We have somebody interpret, but, and some of them understand quite a bit in English, but they, they do need an interpreter to help through the thought process. But did you know that in the Chinese language, would you think of China as a, a the Republic of China as a Christian nation? <laughs> Got a lot of Christians over there and underground Christians, praise God, but... Matter of fact, I've got some, I got one in my Sunday school class that got saved in the underground church in China. But you wouldn't think of the Chinese having much religious background, would you? But did you know that in the Chinese language itself, the gospel is in the symbols of the Chinese language? Did you know that? Now... Mainland China has changed the language to try to get rid of a lot of that. They, they don't want that in their language, obviously, those communists. But now you go to Thailand and more of it is in it. But they actually have the gospel in their, in all those artistic writings that they call writing that it looks like somebody drew. There's, the gospel is in it. What does that mean? That means that one time... China was evangelized. I hope to God that if 
the Lord allows this, this world to go on for another 100 years before he comes back or 50 years that somebody is not talking about America like that. I think we already have missionaries in America from other places trying to win people's groups and different things. Folks, I'm telling you, we've got to really wake up. It's not enough to talk about how we, good we feel about our country, and I'm assuming we have immigrants in, in here. I know we have Nadine, and uh, I'm assuming we have immigrants. Uh, it, and, and usually immigrants can really tell you what we need more than we can tell what we need ourselves. But I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God raised up this country. Now, I don't say that just because it sounds good, and that's what you're supposed to say. God raised this country up for a purpose. He meant for us to be a lighthouse of the gospel. And that's why we can't overdo getting so involved in things, other things that we don't get the gospel out because no matter what we do with our country, no matter who we elect, it will not substitute for the preaching of the gospel and for, for edification of the saints and of discipleship of people. But I believe he wants America to be one of the, the government of America, to be one of the mechanisms of getting the gospel out. And that's why Satan has attract, attacked so, so strongly. And that's why they don't want prayer in the public schools, except when there's a tragedy. And then they want to pray. Well, I better not go there. I, that's a whole other thing. But listen, don't fall into the trap of thinking that we don't have time to consider what our responsibilities as a citizen is are thinking it's wrong to spend time carrying out that responsibility. You don't have to do big things to make a big difference. And I'm not even saying that everyone should be involved in politics to the same extent. God has different purposes for different people. So, we shouldn't be ever disputing among ourselves as to how much our brother or sister ought to be doing. Let's just, if we have a burden for it, let's do it. But let's don't expect everybody around us to do the same things to the same extent that we do it. But at the same time, let's not let any of us neglect the basic, simple things that God has given us that we can do. We live in a nation that we can vote. Some people live in nations that they can't vote, or if they do, it doesn't mean anything because elections are already determined before they ever vote. So we shouldn't take it for granted. You know, I'm not going to take time to turn to it because of time, and I'll, I'll spend too much time if I go there, but in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 1 through 8, God says, now I say God says, not patriots, not American patriots, God says 
that we're to pray for all men everywhere. And that means all people. And it says for kings and those in authority that we are to be praying for them. And you know what? I have found that God means what he says. So sometimes what God's people do, it's not just a responsibility that he's given us. It's really an exhortation and it's a promise. It's for our own good. Someone said, every time God says, thou shalt not, he means do thyself no harm. And every time he says, thou shalt, he's saying, get yourself some blessings. He said, pray for kings and those in authority. And who can tell me why he said to do that? What did he say would be the result? Anybody? That we might live, I think somebody's saying it over there. Yeah, that we might leave a quiet and peace, lead a quiet and peaceable life. And in that same context, in that same passage, he's talking about getting the gospel out. So he is saying, pray for peace, pray for those in authority, pray for kings, and that will allow you to get the gospel out more and live at peace. Well, that's one responsibility and how many of you ever heard, I know he's a senator from another state, but he's been in the forefront for years in his positions. Any, any of you ever hear of Senator Charles Grassley? Anybody hear of him? He's been a sen- senator from Iowa forever. <laughs> he's, he's 86 or something like that, or going to be. I, I met him. I, it, it's interesting, because we were in Iowa for, Iowa for nine years, and he, he truly is a Christian. I, the man was amazing. I, to make a long story short, I, I knew about him. I had heard about him speaking to Christian groups, and so thinking I'd never get him, I called his office, and one of his aides said, well, if, if the senator has some time, sometime when he's in your area, we'll let you know, and he'll stop by. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> we'll never meet him. Guess what? They called. He came and he he spoke. (laughs) He spoke to our Christian school parents and some other people who were able to come in that day. And he met with our men in a a room and we sat there. And one of our men said, well, what can we do to help? And immediately he said, well, the main thing you can do is pray like it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, that's what his answer was. And that's all he ever said. He didn't say, well, you can hand out flyers to me. You can't do this. You can do... He said, pray. I could tell you stories about officials like Governor Branstead in Iowa that several of us met with one time, and I shared with him that we had his picture up with other officials. We had a bulletin board set up, and we prayed for them. He was genuinely moved by it. I I could tell you other stories, but I'm telling you, prayer. Isn't that a, that's something we can do, is it not? And we need to do that. Learn how to pray intelligently about these things, but pray. Proverbs 28, 28, I think it says when the right, when the righteous are in, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. You know, another, another proverb in 
29.2, I think it's, no, 28.28, it says, when the wicked rule, the people hide. That's what I was looking for. Proverbs 28.28. When the wicked rule, the people hide. Now listen, whatever you think of President Trump, and, and I'll just do a disclaimer right here. I'm glad he was elected. I'm glad for the three justices he appointed to the Supreme Court. I'm glad for the overruling of uh, overturning the Roe versus Way. But I don't agree with some of his approaches. Now, I know some people say, well, that's the way he got things done. But listen, revenge is never right. Vengeance belongs to me, saith the Lord. And I'm not for taking revenge on people. I'm not for calling people names like he does. I'm not for that abrasive language. And I'm not for that. But I deeply and greatly appreciate that he was a politician and a president of the United States that honored his promises. I appreciate that. And I'm glad he was president for four years. But we have to be honest. You can't just blanket approve of somebody that's doing things that are anti-scriptural. So where he was right, he's right, and where he's wrong, he's wrong. <laughs> amen? Somebody say amen if you don't believe it. But that's true of me. That's true of your pastor. When we're right, we're right, and when we're wrong, we're wrong. Based on the Word of God. Now, Senator Grassley agreed to speak to our people. And you know what he preached on? Being the salt of the earth and the light of the world from Matthew chapter 5. And I am being honest with you, Pastor York. I've never heard anybody bring a better message on it. It was good. I don't mean just the relation to government. He, he laid it out. I, I sat there in awe. Now, at that point in my life, I had not had a lot of dealing with politicians. So, you know, I had the same feeling that a lot of people do. Well, first of all, I felt kind of intimidated, you know, a United States senator. Ooh. I, you know, I wish people would feel like that about God. People are more awed by political position sometimes than by God. But that man set me to thinking some things. We went to visit him out in Washington, D.C. in his office at the Capitol building. We, we went into his office. He said, come on in, men, and have a seat. And as I was sitting down, I looked up on his wall, and there was 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, talking about the precious blood of Christ. Right on his wall. Listen, there are people in government And he's still a United States senator, by the way. The only reason he's running again is because he just felt it was crucial to try to get control of the Senate. He was ready to retire. The man's 84, 86 or something. He'll be over 90, I know that, if he gets reelected by the time he finishes his next term, if he finishes it. I could tell you stories of others like that, but I'm telling you, here was a man, elected official, who said you need to pray and you need to be the salt of the earth. Now, if we're careful, if, if we pay attention, 
we can elect more officials like that. And he's not just the one. There are several that I dealt with in the state of Iowa that, that were a blessing. Senators, state representatives, and how that God was using them, working among them. Doesn't it stand to reason that if God wants this country to go on and be one of the lights in the world, that he's going to put people in office that will help preserve us? Does it stand to reason? Would it be kind of nice if we would just try to help that effort? <laughs> yeah. You said, well, how do we do it, preacher? I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 24. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number, verse 10 through 12. Proverbs 24, 10 through 12 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Wow. We could apply that a lot of ways to life, right? Our trials we face. Everything. If we faint when things get tough, it means we have, we're weak in strength. Weak in, in Christian strength. We, we don't have the strength we need. By the way, I believe that, well, I'll wait. Maybe I'll get to that in a moment. This is why my messages are long. But in verse 11, it says, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. Hey, can you think of any group like that? What about unborn babies? What does he say there in verse 11? If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. And it can apply to other groups and situations. And this doesn't just apply to somebody that's going to die a physical death. It goes on and it says in verse 12, If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? He says, but you do know. One day, you know, when we were fighting the battle out in Iowa, I was standing in line to get on an airplane with an official, an officer is the way I should put it, of a Christian organization. I'm not going to name it because I'm not saying he represents the whole organization, but I, I was, he we realized that we were in some same situations, Christian education and all. And he said, oh, you're from Iowa. And I told him about the battle. And he said, well, I know there's a pastor out there and his wife that was put in jail. He said, but what I'm asking you is, are they worthy of our support? Now, I'm not a violent man. But I wanted to punch him. Excuse me. I thought, what are you talking about? Here is, here is a pastor and his wife who's trying to keep a Christian school going. They're trying to honor what God says, and you want to know if they're worthy of your support? Are you only concerned if they have the academically strong, strongest school in the state? Now, it's great to have a goal like that, but come on now. See, that's the mentality that we have in this country we have had for a long time. You've got to be careful, folks. We eat ourselves up sometimes. We eat each other. But, but let me say this about what he's saying here. He said, 
He's saying, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth thy soul, thy soul, doth not he know it. He's saying, you're putting your own soul in jeopardy when you don't care about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or the innocent, or the persecuted. Now, we've gone through a lot of things in this nation that we can't be totally proud of. Slavery being one of them. It took a long time to get out of that. But that fits, that fits this scripture right here. We could go on and on and on, but we, now, it's an amazing thing. You talk about the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Having three Supreme Court justices appointed by President Trump is the mercy of God. We didn't do that. We weren't doing enough. We weren't concerned enough. And we fit this, this verses. And I'm not saying every one of us, but just allow me a little literary liberty here, would you? Some of us may be guilty sitting here today. Because we said, what can I do? You know what that question is? I don't want to do nothing. That's what that question means. I'm too busy. It's too uncomfortable. I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. But God says, I know. I know why you don't. You know what he said to Cain after he killed Abel? You know what Cain said? Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, you sure are. And here's the consequences of not being your brother's keeper. I wrote out beside this scripture in in my Bible on the margin, am I my brother's keeper? You say, well, then what do we do? And by the way, Should Christians be involved in government? I hope you're saying within your mind and heart, yes. Now, remember, I said not everybody to the same extent. But did you know that we wouldn't have the Declaration of Independence we have like it is, and we wouldn't have the Constitution like it is if it hadn't have been for preachers at that time? There was a little-known preacher named John wise and he was wise evidently he influenced the declaration of independence and the constitution and a lot of the language that are in them came from his preaching and Thomas and Jefferson had said under him some and picked up that language and I'm okay if preachers and Christians are behind the scenes doing the influencing as long as we get the results I don't care I don't think John Wise cared. He was just a preacher, thundering out, giving out the truth, and it affected people. So what's our response? What can we do? And this afternoon we'll, we'll get the most of it. But our, refer, our first responsibility is to vote. 
especially in the light of these coming elections in November, the primaries, we should vote in the primaries because sometimes that's when you get the person you want. It's, it's not good to skip the primaries. There's not as much hoop to law about them and everything, you know, and, and it, but they're important to vote in. But every time you have a chance to vote, vote. But in the light of these elections coming up, your vote does matter. Your vote does matter. Have you ever gone to the voting booth or you were leaving the voting booth thinking, is my vote really going to count? <laughs> I mean, I've done that before until I got to thinking about all this. Until I got to studying this whole issue and thinking about it and, and, and considering, you know, some votes, by the way, some elections are decided by one vote per precinct. And I don't have time to go into all of that, but in some local elections by one vote. And you think of even in, in today in Pennsylvania and some other places and there may be some, some votes that went on in the primaries that aren't settled yet. They're so close. Do votes matter? Did you know that Thomason Jefferson was elected as president by one House of Representatives vote? Because he didn't get it, the Electoral College was a tie, and it went to, went to the House of Representatives, and he won by one vote or he wouldn't have been president of the United States. John Quincy Adams, the same thing, similar thing. George Bush in 2000, 500, only won by 537 votes in the state of Florida out of 6 million and some votes. And as you know, if you remember back then or know history, if you weren't alive back then or just a kid, it went to the United States Supreme Court before it was settled. And after Election Day on November, it was two months or more before we even knew who our president was going to be. So how many times do you think that Al Gore thought, if I could have just turned out 600 more people? <laughs> how many times do you think Bush said, we wouldn't have gone through this if we just got 1,000 more votes or something? It's possible even in our day for one vote to throw the whole presidential election. And I wish I could tell you other stories. We won't have time, but I, here's something you may not have thought of, and we're gonna we're gonna wind this up in a couple of minutes here. But here's some things you may not have thought of about your vote. The popular vote in our presidential election is important because it gives more credibility and power to the elected president. For instance. Trump did not win the popular vote back in 2016. So a lot of people, true or not, they can say, well, he's not really legitimate the president. Do you know that Bush in that election that he won in 2000 did not win the popular vote? Gore won the popular vote. Which means more people that voted, not more people in the United States necessarily, because like 20 million or more Christians don't vote, which is sad, but of the majority of people that voted, Bush was not their choice. Do you think voting is important? 
For one thing, it's just our responsibility. It's like coming to church. If you don't come to church, if you don't, if you choose, if you don't have any reason not to come on Wednesday night and Sunday night, you're voting not to have church. You say, "Oh no, no, I, I want them to have church." Well, you're voting for them not to. If you don't come, I'm talking about on a consistent basis. That's what you're doing. You don't vote in America. You're voting against democracy or our republic. You're voting against it, saying it doesn't matter. Because if everybody did what you did, we wouldn't have one. There's some other things I will cover this afternoon along this line of voting, but for those that may not make it back this afternoon, you know, it, you know, I hear people all the time say, it doesn't matter who's in office, it's the same. Oh, please. Please. Are you really that ignorant? Really. I know I get straight on this stuff. I, our nation is moving further and further away from the truth. And we're just fiddling while Rome burns. Do you really think it doesn't matter who the president is? Do you like paying five-something a gallon for gas? Do you like stuff that's going on? Do you like all... Do you like this stuff? Of course it matters who's president. Otherwise, Roe versus Wade wouldn't have been overturned. It matters who's president. And other judges that are appointed. It matters who the legislature is, and I've got to close even though I don't want to here, but I never want to stop, so that's nothing new. Um, But... It matters of judges in other situations. It matters who controls the state legislatures. And I don't know if you know it or not, but some of the state legislatures across this country had maybe as much to do about the overturning of Roe versus, versus Wade as anything else, or at least a large part in it. And I could explain this this afternoon if I think about it. But listen, let me, let me say this, folks, in closing. It goes back to the statement I made early in the message. The only way you're going to really be satisfied and really be content and really accomplish what you want to accomplish with your life is if you are responsible in your areas of responsibility. It's not just taking your responsibility as a Christian citizen seriously. It's taking your responsibility as a family member as a church member, as an employee or employer, or whatever it is. Let's be responsible. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to know Christ as your Savior, you're living in this great nation that God established and God has protected by His grace and mercy because we don't deserve it. By His mercy... And you have the freedom you have, and it's because of Jesus. If you come to him, he said, if you continue in his word, you'll be free indeed. That's true liberty.